How many of you guys have a phone? A phone. Okay. A lot of you guys have phones. So have any of you guys ever had like an attempted scam text to your phone? Any of you guys? I've had it a couple times. There was like a period where I got like, it seemed like one every other day, either like a text message or a phone call. And scamming, especially with, you know, the internet being a thing and growing is like been on the increase, scams left and right. I was doing a little bit of research about scams in general and like the different categories of scams and maybe some of these are the ones that you got. The first one is called an IRS or government scams. So basically saying a text like, hey, you owe the government money. Uh, Please send us this much money with your credit card. Um, It's like, okay. but guess what? They get people. They're like, wait, I, oh, oh, yeah, if you don't respond to this right now, the police are going to be sent out to you. People freak out, and they're like, oh, okay, here, take my money. Another one is called an emergency scam. So it's like where, hey, I'm like a distant friend of yours, and I'm texting you, and I need some help. I need like a $50 cash. I'm in a really tough situation right now. And they send you a text, or they send you an email trying to get you to respond. Um, another one is a text support scams which say you're on your computer and it's like, oh, you have a virus on your computer and you need to like click onto this link which opens this other thing and all of a sudden your computer is now being controlled by this other force and guess what? You just got scammed. Another one is called a debt scam which is similar to like, hey, you owe this much money. You better pay this money up before it's too late. Last one is called a foreign money exchange scams which is like this government authority from some far off country who will, I've seen this before, he'll like send you an email from this government official who has inherited a sum of money and they want to give the sum of money to you specifically. So they sent you this email because, hey, we want to send you like $5 million. It was just afforded to us and he specifically wanted to give you this, this sum of money. So all you need to do is pay this transaction fee and guess what? We'll give you the $5 million. And guess what? There's a lot of people that fall for these scams over and over and over again. I got an email, I think it was like years ago, where it was like from Pastor Mike, and it was this fake Pastor Mike trying to like get things like from me. And it's like all these scams that just keep pumping. As you keep getting emails, you'll get scam emails, scam phone calls, people trying to steal the money. And guess what? We kind of laugh it off and are like, whatever. But you know why they do it? Well, first, they do it to get money. But second, they do it because it works. I saw that... Over the last year, they estimate between 28 and $39 billion have been lost due to phone scams this past year. So 28 to $39 billion that people have lost, I mean, they specifically target like older individuals or um, where it's like, oh, like, oh, I need to give this money. Here you go. And then people will lose all of their life savings in just that because of this scam email. People fall for it left and right. Scams are on the rise, and more and more people are falling for it more than ever. 28 to $39 billion. These people trying to deceive people and trick people out of their money. Well, guess what? In this world that we live in, there are increasing lies and deception happening. I mean, just on the internet in general, there's more lies being put out there than ever. Deception, lies putting out there. And we must not be tricked like the people that fall for these scams to fall for the lies and the misinformation that is being spread out in the world. What are we specifically talking about? The lies that are being propagated that, hey, living a sinful life is better than living a life that honors God. That's a lie that is being spread throughout our culture now 
seemingly more than ever, that, hey, if you just do whatever you want to, if you live the life and forget the Bible, forget God, live like there is no God, that that's far better than living in accordance with this book, that it's way superior to following the rules of the Bible. Similar situation is taking place in 2 Timothy chapter 3, the passage that we're going to look at I want you to turn to. 2 Timothy chapter 3, a similar thing is happening. These individuals are coming in to the church in Ephesus, and they are promoting false ideas. False ideas that, hey, disobey God and do these other things, do whatever the world says, and guess what? It's far better than living in accordance with what Scripture says. And Paul here in 2 Timothy 3 is writing to Timothy saying, hey, this is what you need to do to combat those false lies. And those lies that are being told here at the church in Ephesus are the same lies that we hear today. So how can we not fall for those tricks? How can we not be deceived to falling for the lies and the scams that this world is trying to push? Well, the answer is here in 2 Timothy 3, verses 14 and 17. Look at 2 Timothy 3, 14. Paul writes this to Timothy, he says, But as for you, you Timothy, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed. So, hey, you've learned something, Timothy, and what he's learned has been from his grandmother and his mother. He's been taught the Bible from a young, young age. They've, he's been taught that. He says, continue in what you've learned, which is God's word, and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it. Hey, remember who you learned those things about the Bible. It was from grandmother, from your mother, even from Paul himself. Hey, I taught you things about the scripture. Don't forget that, and don't forget the ones who taught you. Verse 15, also, remember how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. So the scriptures, Timothy has been taught from a very young age. Some people think it's as early as five years old. Some people say it's basically from when he was zero. Timothy had a godly mom and a godly grandma who would teach him the Bible. He says, continue on in that. Continue to be in God's word. Why does he care about that? Verse 16. Why should he be all about God's word? Because verse 16 says, all scripture is breathed out by God. We talked about that. Uh, the word breathed out, theopneustos, from the mouth of God. Scripture, God's word, comes directly from God. We talked about that the very first uh, sermon of our fact check series, that the Bible is not just written by some random people. Remember that? We talked about how it's God's divine message to us. So, hey, all scripture is breathed out by God, but also it's profitable. That word profitable, it's helpful. It's useful. What is it useful for? Well, for, for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. We're going to unpack all those here in a second. Saying, hey, the Bible is from God, and it's helpful in all these different facets of life. Teaching, reproof, correction, for training in righteousness. Verse 17 says, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Say, hey, you need to continue on learning from God's word, being in God's word. Remember who taught it to you, and also remember its benefits. Remember all the positive things that being in God's word is helpful for. Why? Verse 17, so that you may be complete, equipped for every good work. Hey, Timothy, I know you're a, a leader of this church, and you're helping out this church. Guess what? If you want to be equipped to do what you're supposed to be doing, you need to be all about this book. You need to be in God's word, because guess what? People were coming into this church trying to teach wrong things. 
Look at verse 12 and 13, right before the passage we looked at. Paul talks about, in verse 12, he says, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So, hey, Timothy, if you do what the Bible says and you live a godly life, guess what? It's going to be hard. It's going to be difficult. Persecution is going to come. Verse 13, while evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. So, hey, there's going to be these evil people that are coming into your church and are doing what? They're deceiving people. They're trying to trick people. They're trying to say, hey, do this instead. Forget the Bible. Rather, follow after this. And if we want to stay away from the lies and the deception that is present in our culture today, we need to also stand firm in God's word. We need to constantly be in God's word in order to combat the lies of our culture and also to live our lives as effective Christians. I mean, if we said, hey, I want to be an effective Christian for God, I want to be able to combat the lies that people say about Christianity. You can't do it without scripture. Scripture is useful in so many ways. It's beneficial in so many ways, and often we forget about that. We say, oh, I'm, I've got to read my Bible. Oh, yeah, just so I can say I read my Bible today. But if it was like, oh, what's the, what, what, what's the benefit of reading the Bible? Uh, like like God, God says I'm supposed to read the Bible. Yeah, but like what, what's the benefit? Like, oh, because like, like the Bible says that I'm supposed to do it. That's oftentimes the response that we get, but it's like, that's not a reason why it's, it's beneficial. Yeah, the Bible does say we're supposed to read it, and God does want us to read the Bible, but what is the benefit for us? Is it beneficial for us? Clearly, it's beneficial for Timothy because Paul is writing specifically to Timothy, addressing things that are going on in the church, and hey, you need to put this into practice because this is really helpful and beneficial for you. But does it speak to us today? Does it have any bearing on us today? Does it have any benefit or usefulness today. Point number one, we need to remember that it is useful. Remember the usefulness of Scripture. Scripture is just as important and just as timely and just as relevant when it was written as it is for us today. The Bible is just as relevant and just as useful for someone living in California, as someone living in New York, as someone living in Uganda, someone living in Russia, someone living in Australia, just as relevant, just as useful for any person. Just as relevant and just as useful for someone who lives in 2022, as someone who lives in 2000, someone who lives in 1500, 1000, someone who lives in 3000 in the future. The Bible is just as useful, just as relevant, just as helpful. Verse 16 and 17, it gives us some of the answers of why Scripture is helpful, why it is useful, why it is profitable is the word used in 2 Timothy 3.16. It says it's profitable for teaching. That's the first one, for, for teaching. Okay, well, the Bible teaches us. What does the Bible teach us? Subpoint A, Bible teaches us truth. Teaches us truth. Scripture is the foundation of telling us what is accurate. This is true. This is false. We look to it. 
because of all these lies that are taking place in this church in Ephesus, and you can look at the lies in um, 2 Timothy 3, verses 1 through 9, about there's people doing all these sinful things, lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to parents, ungrateful and holy. These are the lies that are coming into the church that, hey, you should do these things. And in order to combat these lies, he says, hey, what you should do is hold fast to the truth. And what's the truth? God's word. What is the truth that the Bible teaches us? I mean, it teaches us truth about a lot of things. It teaches us the truth about God, that God is creator. Where do we learn that? Genesis 1.1. <laughs> In the beginning, God created the heavens and earth. Where do we learn that? About God. He's the creator. That God is holy. That God is just. That God is loving. That God is patient. That God is omnipotent. God is omniscient. God is sovereign. All these things, if we didn't have the Bible, guess what? We wouldn't know about God. Really, really hard to know things about God if God doesn't reveal it to us. Without the Bible, we wouldn't be able to know the truth about God. Not only truth about God, we know truth about man. We know that we're sinful people. The world will tell us the lie that, guess what? People are naturally good. That, hey, everyone is this word called altru altruism, which is, oh, everyone is inherently good. Everyone's naturally good. Well, guess what? If the Bible didn't tell us that we're sinful and separated from God, we would probably come to the conclusion as, oh yeah, maybe we are good. <laughs> maybe we are naturally good. But no, because the Bible tells us the truth about God, the truth about man, the truth about Jesus, that who Jesus was, that he lived a perfect life. He died on the cross, rose again, teaches the truth about salvation, how to be made right with God, repenting, turning from our sin, trusting in Jesus. There's so much truth found in Scripture. Does the Bible tell us the truth about everything that we would ever want to know? No. There's a lot of things that the Bible doesn't talk about. It doesn't t talk about like cars, modern-day cars, I guess. There's chariots, I guess. There's some mention of it. Um, like that doesn't talk about like sports directly, like there's like a lot of things that the Bible doesn't talk about. But guess what? The important things for us to know, the essential things, the Bible is very clear about. And it gives us the truth about those things. We have to know the truth. And the way to do it is by being in God's word. It's not just our opinion. I was going out this morning and like I do every Saturday with our evangelism team going door to door and knocking on people, trying to tell people about, about Jesus. Um, and you interact with all kinds of people. And I remember one guy, I think this was last week, where I knocked on his door and he said, he's a Christian. It's like, oh, okay, great. Um, and just because someone says they're a Christian, we like to, hey, let's make sure they understand the gospel and have responded rightly to it. And so um, one of the guys that I was with, Kevin, um, he was going through, you know, the, the gospel with him. He's like, oh, so you know that, like, God is the creator and that that." He's perfect, and guess what? We're, we're sinful, and because of that, God needs to punish us. Um, because of God's wrath, he has to be just to punish us. And right when he said that, the guy was like, ooh, I don't, I don't like the term, like, the wrath of God. Um, I, I kind of view God more as just like a, a loving father. He's, he's just a loving father. Like, don't, and then he would go on, like, don't, don't go out and try to scare people into this. Don't, don't try to scare people telling them about hell and all that. Hey, God's, God's just a, a loving father. There was another person 
that I interacted with this week who um, was a Mormon individual. Um, and when we were talking to him about how, hey, Jesus says he's the only way. Uh, John 14, 6, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. We're like, Jesus says he's the only way. And he was like, oh, well, I like to believe that, you know, at the end, like everyone's going everyone's gonna to get to basically go to heaven, like everyone. With both of these individuals, it was like, okay, we're going to share you what the Bible says. And it was all rebutted with, oh, well, well, I like to think this. Well, I like to think this. It's like, okay, well, you, can, you can think whatever you want, but guess what? If it's opposite to what the Bible teaches, it's not truth, it's a lie. You can say, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, there is no wrath of God. Uh, what about 2 Thessalonians, where it talks about God's going to come in flaming fire in vengeance? I think that speaks about the wrath of God. Or the wages of sin is death. I think that talks about the wrath of God. Or John 14, 6, where Jesus says, I'm the way, truth, and the life. Only come to the Father except through me. There's going to be a lot of ideas that people float out that you keep hearing. They're going to say, hey, this is, this is true. This is what I believe. Well, guess what? If it's not in Scripture, if it's something contrary to Scripture, it doesn't matter what you believe because the Bible is true. And if it contradicts it, guess what? It's false. It's not true. So when you go to the Bible, do you seek to say, hey, what am I going to be taught today? When you open up into your DBR, do you say, okay, what, what am I going to learn? I think a lot of you guys don't read your Bible as, you, as often as you should because you think you know it all. You've got it down. Oh, yeah, we're in the book of Job. Yeah, I know, Job's life sucks. Uh, some bad things happen, and he gets bad counsel from his friends, and he's just sad. Yeah, I've heard that, the story of Job before. I'm good. It's like, you really think you know everything there is to know about the Bible? <laughs> You're like, you think you know more than biblical scholars who are way older? Pastor Mike, these people who are like still learning new things about the Bible, and that yet we can sit back and say, oh, I kind of already know it. <laughs> It's like, I don't need to read it today. I get it. Job's life stinks. And he's going to say, I hate my life. <laughs> Same with tomorrow and Job again. It's like, there's so much more to learn by constantly being in the word. Things that we should be taught. Even if you've heard it before, you can go deeper. Understanding different verse by verse. Okay, what is this verse really talking about? Man, this verse, maybe there's a reference from this verse to another verse in the Bible. And you're making all these connections to see the broader group uh, broader grasp of scripture. Like, wow, I'm really understanding this. The Bible is helpful and it's useful because it teaches us truth. That's the first thing. It teaches us teaching. It says all scripture, verse 16, is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching. The next, for reproof. Reproof. This idea of convicting. This idea of showing what is false? This idea of, okay, if someone believes something that's not true, the Bible, which is true, shows that, hey, that's not right. It exposes what's, what's incorrect. For the subpoint B, why the Bible is useful is it exposes sin and it exposes error. It exposes sin and error. By Timothy holding fast to the truth, which is the Bible, he can combat the errors and the false ideas that are um, happening in his life and are happening in his church by saying, hey, the Bible actually 
speaks that we shouldn't be lovers of money, that we shouldn't be proud, we shouldn't be arrogant, we shouldn't be without self-control, we shouldn't not love good, we shouldn't be reckless, we shouldn't be swollen with conceit. All these things listed in uh, chapter 3, verses 1 through 9, as you can skim through there, he's able to combat those because guess what? The Bible's like a weapon. It's used as a weapon to expose sin and error. Error in general, like false ideas that people have in general, but also the sin in our lives. Hebrews 4, 12 through 13, we preached on this exact verse a few weeks ago. I'm sure you know it. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. The Bible's like a sword. Piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. We talked about how the Bible's like a sword that cuts within us and shows us the sinfulness of our hearts. Shows us the wickedness that's going on in our lives. The Bible brings conviction over our own sin. I mean, I'm sure you've read the Bible before and you've read a passage or maybe listened to a sermon and they say, hey, the Bible says not to do this. And in your heart, you say, oh man, I do that, but I know I shouldn't do that. That's the conviction that God's word has, exposing the sin in our own hearts. And it hurts. (laughs) It's not easy. It's uncomfortable. The Bible's saying, don't do this. And you're like, man, I, I do that. Don't like hearing that. You don't like being told, no, stop. Don't do this. Don't do that. That's what the Bible does. It exposes the sin and wickedness. It hurts. It's, it's difficult to hear. But guess what? When you see how that exposing nature of the sin in our hearts is actually a good thing. Guys, imagine if you were going on a date. Imagine you're going on a date. And you're getting ready, you're getting all dressed up, and you're living with a couple roommates like me, and so you're going on a date, and you get all dressed up, and you walk out. Before you're about to leave, you say goodbye to the roommates, and as you walk out, you picked out your fit just right, and you come out, you're wearing a pink tank top. Pink tank top, um, you're wearing uh, a ye- yellow pineapple shorts, um, you're wearing uh, soccer cleats, <laughs> um, you're wearing like a headband, and, and pink gloves. <laughs> and you're like, all right. You're, it, you took a lot of time. You thought about your, your outfit. You're like, this is what I should wear. My first date, yes. And then you come out to, to the roommates. You're like, all right, I'm ready, ready to head out. And your roommates are sitting there. Oh, yeah, you're, you're going to go on that? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just, I th- put a lot, of, a lot of thought into it. Now, in that situation... It might be more funny for your roommates to be like, all right, have a great date. (laughs) But what you would rather prefer is for your roommates to be like, all right, you need to go back in there and take everything you're wearing and change it because this is awful. Soccer cleats, yellow pineapple shorts, a pink tank top, a headband, and, and pink purple gloves. I don't know, whatever. It's like, you need to swap. You need to change it. See, that's kind of comparing that to how God's word says hard things about us and shows us our sinfulness, and it hurts, but guess what? It's actually good for us. It might hurt for your friend to say, yeah, what you're wearing is ugly and take it off. You would be like, ouch. Like imagine coming to the narrow and one of your, gr- your girls now, thinking one of the girls is like, dude, that outfit's awful. It's like, ouch, that would like really hurt. Like that would stink. Yeah, the guy's like, if fr- or your roommate told you that, you're like, that would hurt. But guess what? You would see how it's actually helpful because they're saying hard things to you that's actually for your good. 
That's exactly what the Bible does. It hurts when you read it and it says, don't, don't lie. And you told a lie this week and you're like, ooh, yeah, I shouldn't have done that. I made a mistake. When the Bible says to be peaceful and you were bickering and arguing with your siblings and with your small group this week and you're like, oh, I shouldn't have done that. And it hurts and it stings. It's a conviction and it's rightfully should hurt, but guess what? You gotta see the good in that. It's good for that. Rather be stabbed right in the front. You know, you'd rather have your friend stab you right in your front than stab you in the back. Like, say it straight to you. Hey, what you're wearing, like, don't wear that out to the first date. Rather than you go away and they whisper to their friends, like, why was he wearing that? It's like, well, well, sucks to suck. Um, It's like, no, you'd want them to stab you right in the front. Say it to your face. Well, that's what God's word does. It says it right to us. Don't do this. Don't do that. That reproof that comes from God's word. Do you crave, sounds kind of weird, the conviction of scripture? When you come to a sermon, are you like, man, I'm so excited for there to be people on the roof stomping up and down? No. (laughs) When you come to a sermon, do you say, man, I cannot wait to be exposed, my sin to be exposed so I can cut it off? You say, man, I'm excited about that. Or are you like, oh, man, here it comes again. They're going to tell me not to do this, not to do that, not to do that. You should, in a sense, be excited to, man, I'm going to be corrected. I'm going to be reproved. I'm going to be told, stop doing that. It's a good thing for us. Second Timothy chapter 4, so a little bit further down from where we're reading, Paul tells Timothy to preach the, the word. So the Bible, to preach it. And in verse 2 of 2 Timothy 4, you can look down your Bible, it says, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season. Reprove. Hey, where did, that, where did that just come from? Reprove. Even in the preaching, there's supposed to be this, stop doing that. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort. Very strong words right there. Hey, call people out. Timothy, when you preach the word, guess what? The sinfulness that's happening in the church, call it out. Take God's word, say, this is what the Bible says and this is what you're doing. You need to stop doing that. Look at verse three. It says, for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. So time coming when people are gonna not like listening to what the Bible has to say. It says, but having itching ears, what, itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. Saying, hey, there's gonna be people coming that have itching ears. It's like, what is that? What does it mean? It means that if you're preaching hard truths to them, they're saying, I don't want to listen to that. I don't want to listen to that. I'd rather listen to people saying, hey, everyone, everyone in the narrow, you're doing great. Everyone's fantastic. Yeah, God is all love and he loves everything that you're doing. That's what people like to hear. Even that probably sounded kind of nice. Everyone in this room is just so amazing. Just so great. You're doing exactly what God wants you to do. There's a lot of churches that preach that. A lot of churches that teach that every week. But guess what? It's not what the Bible wants us to teach. We're supposed to teach the truth. We're supposed to reprove. We're supposed to rebuke. We're supposed to exhort. So when you hear sermons at this church, oftentimes it's like, oh, that kind of hurts. We should crave that. We should be excited for that. 
Like, I'm part of the Bridge College ministry, and like every week, Pastor PJ preaches such a powerful sermon where it's like, man, I felt like I just got smacked in the face. <laughs> but it was like the best smack in the face I could ever have wanted. It's like, <laughs> it's so weird. Like, like, oh, that hurt so bad, but it was like, it was like a good hurt. Like, yeah, I like that. Like, yeah, I'm ready to stop doing the things that the Bible says I'm not supposed to do. That's the reproof of Scripture. Look back, 2 Timothy 3.16. What is the benefit? What is the profitability of Scripture? Well, it's beneficial for teaching. teaches us truth. It's beneficial for reproof. It exposes the sin and error in our lives and in the lives of others. Next, for correction. Correction. Similar to reproof. Reproof is more so saying, hey, don't do this. Correction is more say, hey, instead of this, rather do this. I put it this way for C, Scripture directs us back to truth. Directs us back to truth. So the reproof is, if you're lying, it's stop lying. That's the reproof. The correction is, hey, don't lie, rather tell the truth. So this direction of saying, not do this, rather instead do this. It's like, say the analogy that I was giving with um, the guy um, wearing crazy clothes to the first date. The reproof would be, don't wear that. The correction would be, hey, maybe try a a nice button-up shirt. What about some nice jeans? That's the correction on the flip side of the reproof. See how they're both necessary, and they both come from Scripture. One passage that illustrates this very well, I want you to turn to is Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. I want you to see how reproof and correction work together. They work together. The reproof, don't do this, and the correction, rather do this. We see specifics found in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 22 uh, 22 to 32. We won't read the whole thing, but we'll jump through it. And it might even be cool if you have like a couple different colors. You could highlight the two aspects of it, the stop and the start. Don't do this, rather do this. So you guys there, Ephesians 4? Look at verse 22. It says, to put off your old self. So that's part of the reproof. Don't do the old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. So don't do this old life, the deceitful desires. Stop doing that. Verse 23 says to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self. So that's the correction side. Hey, put on this new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So Ephesians 2, uh, 4, sorry, verses 22 and following, is comparing the old self with the new self, the stop doing this and the start doing this, reproof and correction. You guys following along? Yeah, does that make sense? Jump to verse 25. We'll see this with some examples. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. So, these people who, before they were Christians, they were lying. They were speaking falsehood. So we see the, the reproof, put away falsehood. Stop doing that. That's the old self. Rather, speak the truth with his neighbor. That's the positive side. So stop lying. Tell the truth. Look at verse 28. It says, let the thief no longer steal. So stop stealing. That's the reproof. But rather, let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands. That's the positive. Stop stealing, rather work hard. Do what God wants you to do, being a hard worker, providing for your family. Look at verse 29. It says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion. So these 
people who before they were Christians, they were using words that they shouldn't. So the reproof is, don't talk like that. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth. The correction is, rather, use words that are good for building up, as fits the occasion. Last example in verse 31 and 32. says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. So all these things, hey, just stop doing that. Rather, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Do you see in this passage how scripture is both giving reproof and correction? Is that clear through there? The stop doing this and start doing that. This is one of all throughout scripture of how it corrects us. It directs us back to, hey, this is what you should do. This is what obedience looks like. This is what you're supposed to do. Because guess what? Christians sin. I know, you didn't know that. Guess what? Christians still sin. They're not perfect. And that's why we need to be in God's word because it's going to expose us to sin. But when you get called out on something and you sin and you mess up, what's your response to it? Do you just, oh, yeah, that was bad. Oh, that was awful. And then you're just like sad for a day, for a couple hours, and you're just like, man, that was a really big mistake. I shouldn't have done that. And you just kind of sit there and don't do anything about it. You're just downcast. You're upset. You're lazy. And you just sit there and you kind of waste the rest of the day because you did a really bad thing that you shouldn't have done. Well, guess what? By just sitting there and not doing anything, that's what Satan wants you to do. The, the Bible would say, hey, when, when you sin, don't just sit around. Repent and move past it. Don't wallow in your sin. Sometimes when we do something wrong, we feel like, oh man, I need to feel bad about this for a really long time. And then once I feel bad about it for a long enough time, then I'm okay and I can move past it. No, the Bible would say, hey, if you've sinned, repent, pray to God, ask for forgiveness. If you wrong someone, ask for forgiveness from them. And guess what? Go back to obedience. Expose the sin, repent of it, and guess what? Go back to doing what God wants you to do. It's the correction of Scripture. So back, 2 Timothy 3.16. Scripture is useful. It's beneficial for teaching, teaching us truth, reproof, exposing sin and error, for correction, directing us back to obedience, and then for training in righteousness. How does the Bible train us in righteousness? I put it this way, subpoint D, it promotes godly behavior. The Bible promotes godly behavior. It's kind of a little bit of a catch-all of the first three. But it's used elsewhere in Scripture, the same word training. It's used elsewhere in Scripture for the word discipline. In Ephesians 6, 4, it says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So parents are called to take their kids and discipline them or train them up in what God has for them and wants them to do. They're supposed to train them up. The same thing is true of God's word in our lives. It's there to train us up, to equip us to do what verse 17 says, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Exactly what God wants us to do, which is to have godly behavior. That's what it pushes us towards. So now that we've got these four things, the usefulness of Scripture found here in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17... When you go to your Bible reading, 
And when you think of, oh, okay, here, here we go. I'm, I've got to read my Bible. I've got to do my Flipgrid for today. Do you just read it and say, okay, yeah, yes, I can just check it off. I'm done. Or rather, do you ask the question, what is this passage trying to teach me today? What knowledge is this passage trying to impart to me today? What is God trying to teach me from his word? That'd be a great question to ask every time you read the Bible. You could ask the question, what sinful behaviors is this passage wanting me to stop? That'd be a great question to ask. What, is, what sin is in my life that this passage is saying I should stop doing that? Another question what godly behavior is this passage wanting me to start? Those are three really great questions to ask every time you go to do your Bible reading. As opposed to, okay, I understand, yeah, what's happening in the story? Yeah, okay, yeah, I kind of knew that already. No, think, how is it applicable and practical in my life? What knowledge do I need to learn? Something new. What bad thing am I doing that it's telling me to stop? And what good thing am I not doing that I need to start doing or do better or do differently or do with the right motives? See how the Bible is so practical. It's so helpful in, all, in our lives. Every day, you can read any passage, like Job saying how awful his life is. You can take truth and look at Job and say, okay, man, yeah, his life's difficult. And guess what? He didn't curse God. Okay, if things are going bad in my life, guess what? I should still praise God. You can impart that truth from reading these passages even in the Old Testament. I mean, there's truths to be found even in reading Leviticus and going through the Levitical system and saying, oh, praise God that we have Jesus, <laughs> that we don't have to apply all these, these rules and sacrifices. All throughout Scripture, every page of Scripture is applicable. doesn't mean we do exactly what maybe some of these Old Testament um, civil laws said. No, but guess what? There's truths to be found of how we're supposed to put it into practice. When we go to the Bible, it's going to be difficult sometimes to read it. It's going to be convicting sometimes. It's going to be challenging. But that pain is good. It's like, could you imagine going to the gym and stopping every time there was like a little bit of hurt or a little bit of discomfort? It's like, you wouldn't be there very long. <laughs> it's like, you're going to do like bicep curls or something. It's like, okay, I'm going to stop when like there's a little bit of pain. One... I mean, for me, I'd pub like 500 to 1,000 probably, uh, you know, yeah, for sure. No. <laughs> It'd be like one, two. All right, yeah, it's, it's hurting now. I'm going home. <laughs> that, was like, that, was, that was difficult. <laughs> um, oh, okay, I'll go to something else. All right, we're going to do like the leg extension thing, which I, I have no idea what that's supposed to help with. You guys know what I'm talking about? And we are sitting in the chair, lifting up the weight. It's like, all right, one, two. All right, yeah, <laughs> I'm done. It's like... If you gave up every time it was just a little difficult, you would not turn into strong, muscular dude or strong, muscular gal. It's like you would make no progress at all if every time it was difficult, you said, I give up. Same thing's true with God's word. If every time it hurts, the sin that's exposed in your life, and you're like, oof, and we just say, okay, I'm done with it, There's, we're not going to grow. Or if you close your Bible because just opening it and sitting there for 20 minutes is so difficult to read because it's, oh, man, I just don't want to do it, and we just give up then, guess what? You're not going to grow to what God wants from us. Scripture is useful. It's helpful. 
even when it's difficult to get into, we must not throw it off to the side. But point number two, we need to stay close to Scripture. We need to stay close to it. Stay close. Does that mean that every time I see you in the future, I'll just want to see you like this? Like, just walking around with your, your Bible, like, just holding it with you? That's, that's not what I'm talking about. Like, it's not like just hold it in your pocket, which I guess we all have phones, and you keep your phone on you, and your phone probably has a Bible. So I guess it is close to you. It's not just in a physical sense, but would you say, man, I am super connected always with the Bible, that I can't go a day without being in Scripture. I'm super connected with it. Would you say that? 2 Timothy 3, 14 and 15, the first part of our passage, Paul encourages Timothy to continue in what he's learned. Look at verse 14. It says, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed knowing from whom you've learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings. It says, hey, Timothy, I know you were taught the Bible from a very young age. You, you've known it for a long time. Guess what? Continue in it. Don't say, okay, yeah, I've made it this far. I guess I'm good for the, with the Bible. Bye-bye, Bible. It's like, no, continue in it. Keep learning, keep growing, because guess what? You're going to keep learning new things. You're going to keep having sin exposed in your life. You're going to keep having things that you're like, man, I'm not doing that. I need to do it better. Continue on in that. Same reminder that we need to hear as well. Seems obvious, but we oftentimes don't do it. There's periods in our life where, okay, I'm reading the Bible every single day, and then a week will go by and we don't read the Bible. Whoa, what happened? And then maybe three days you do it in a row. And then like four days you don't read it. You guys, you guys have experienced that before, I'm assuming, right? Yeah. It's like, how, how can we stay more close to it? Stay more connected with it? Not be on and off, wandering all around. No, be connected to it. It's like some of you were leaders for Camp Compass. And maybe you had like the little kids with you. And you're like moving from crafts to games or moving around. And you're like, all right, guys, let's stay close together. Like, let's stay in line. And then, of course, like the little kids, like as you're walking from place to place, like one of them's like, oh, look, there's like a bird over there. And then they like start walks over to the bird. <laughs> you're like, no, stay over here. Or like one other kid like sees like a rock on the ground. So I was like looking at the rock for like five minutes. It's like, no, stay with the rest of us. Or like the other kid's like, oh, there's food over there. Like, let's go over there. You're like, stay together, stay together. That's oftentimes how we are with the Bible. It's like, okay, yeah, I know I should read it today, but look at there's the video games are just right there. Okay, yeah, let's go over the video games. Forget the Bible today. Needs to get told, no, stay close to the Bible. It's like, Oh, well, I've got a really busy day. I've got like a lot of homework to do. Oh, yeah, over, over. Hey, that's secondary nature. Stay close to the Bible. Same thing's true, not just in your life now, but in 10 years, stay close to the Bible. 20 years, stay close to Scripture. 30 years, be tight, be connected with God's Word, even more so than you are now, but cultivate it now. I could give you story after story of people that I've knew sitting with in the narrow sitting with in true north. What are they up to now? Yeah, forget all the, the, the Bible stuff. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm over that. I'm good. I'm done with this. They're living lives of 
sinfulness, lives of, or lives of disregarding God's commands, lives of immorality and wickedness. So many people that I knew in the narrow, I was sitting there as a student in the same building 50 years ago. No, how many ever years ago it was? Because guess what? They didn't stay close, stay connected with Scripture. They weren't all about this book. They said, oh, man, they went off to college, and someone says something different, and it's like, okay, yeah, I'm going to follow that. I'm going to, yeah, that, that seems better. Or they see how sin is enticing, and they say, oh, yeah, I guess I'd rather go do the sin than do the Bible thing. Guess what? It's a scam. Falling for those things, falling for the sick, sinfulness of this world, falling for the lies of saying there is no God, it's a scam might look more appealing, but guess what? In the end, it's going to leave you empty, leave you with nothing. Stay connected with Scripture. Two passages we're not going to turn to, but I encourage you to read before you come to small groups on Wednesday. One is Psalm 119, verses 9 through 11. It talks about how we should seek God with all our heart, not wander from his commandments. The last one is Deuteronomy 6. Verses 4 and 9. I'll repeat that. Psalm 119, verses 9 through 11. The next one is Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 and four through 9. Deuteronomy 6 in particular talks about how we should be so connected with Scripture. We should not only read it, but we should meditate on it. We should memorize it. It should always be in our minds. Oftentimes when someone talks about meditating on Scripture, which is thinking about Scripture throughout the day, um, you've probably heard of the illustration, if you can remember, for like two years ago in Edge, when I talked about the cow, you know, the cow with multiple stomachs, and how, it, like, the grass comes back up, and they chew it, and it goes around. It's like, hey, that's what needs to be like with scripture, like, always be meditating, always be chewing on it. Recently, I, I, when I was thinking about cows and thinking about that analogy, I realized that whenever you see a cow, I feel like they're always doing, like, two things. A cow's got very simple lives. Either they're eating, or they're what? No, not sleeping. They're going to the bathroom. We'll put it that way. They're either eating, or they're going to the bathroom. It's like, that's all the cows do. But mostly eating. They're just like, oh, yeah, they're chewing some grass over there. And then guess what? They're chewing some grass over there. And then guess what? They're chewing some grass over there. Yeah, you guys know where it's going. It's like, they're always eating. They're always eating. And as I was thinking about that analogy about how they're always like chewing on God's word, it's like I literally always just see cows eating. And if the grass in this analogy is supposed to be like God's word, they're like always chewing on God's word. It's like, can we be more like cows? <laughs> Sounds weird, right? Just like, man, dude, whenever I see Caleb, he's just always talking about the Bible, reading the Bible, thinking about the Bible. Whenever I see Abby, she's just always telling me what she read from the Bible. She's reading the Bible at school. She's talking about the Bible. It's like cows. They're just eating, eating, eating. It's like, man, they're just about the Bible all the time. Can we be that closely connected with Scripture? All about it. Be connected. There's so many ways that you have the opportunity to be connected with the Bible. DVR, Flipgrid, junior high sermons by listening and taking notes by answering the questions and thinking through them before small groups, 
by engaging and talking in small groups, by going to main service sermons, by memorizing scripture, by meditating on what we learned throughout the week, by studying God's word. There's so many listening to podcasts that talk about the Bible, watching YouTube videos where they're talking about the Bible. There's so many listening to worship music that talks about the Bible. So many things to our, that we can put into practice by helping us stay close to scripture. And by staying close to God's word, we're being close to God because it's God's message to us. So may we do that better this week. There's a lot of lies in our culture, a lot of false ideas being spread. And the way for us to combat them is being rooted in this book, being all about this book. It's helpful for teaching, correction, reproof, training in righteousness. If we want to be effective Christians, we got to be all about this book. Let's pray. God, we confess that we don't treat your word as we ought to. There are so many times when we don't listen to it as we should. We don't read it as we should. We don't meditate on it as we should. God, we confess our shortcomings in that area. Help us to resolve to do it better in the future. Help us to be more consistent on our flip grids be more consistent reading the DVR, be more consistent listening to sermons well and taking good notes, not just so we can check it off and say, oh, I read the Bible for seven days in a row this week, but because we want to learn wisdom from you, we want to live lives that are pleasing in your sight. We want to love you better. Help us to delight in your word all the more. We ask all these things in your son's name. Amen.